And this morning we are continuing in John chapter 13. We're going to pick up where we left off two weeks ago. So verse 18, and we're going to read all the way to the end of the chapter. So John uh, chapter 13, starting in 18, all the way to the end of the chapter. Verse 18, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, that you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives me, whomever, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of this bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little bit longer. While you seek, you will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going And Jesus answered him and said, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus answered him and said, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow until you have denied me three times. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our Uh, time here this morning. Uh, Father, as we open your word, uh, we ask that that you be our teacher this morning. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit will illumine our minds. Father, open our eyes, open our ears so that we can hear truth from you. And Father, we ask that you use your truth, your word to change us today for the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you remember, uh, we were together two weeks ago. And uh, we studied that amazing uh, section of of this gospel uh, of uh, where Jesus washes washes the disciples' feet. 
And uh, if you remember, it was an amazing act of humility, but it was also uh, some other things that we can learn from there. The significance of baptism, the significance of being needing to be cleansed. But if you remember there at the end, when um, when Jesus uh, uh, was talking to the disciples, he basically told them, he says, you are not all clean. Now, he wasn't talking about an individual. He wasn't, I just cleaned your feet. The rest of you is not clean. No, he was saying what? One of you is not clean. That's what he was referring to, right? All the disciples were clean. One of you is not. You are not all clean. Of course, we know then, uh, we know because of the earlier verses in, in John's gospel that he had Judas in mind. We know that. And today, of course, with these verses, that becomes crystal clear. Verse 18, uh, we pick up where we left off two weeks ago. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now, as he speaks now, he's uh, as he refers to uh, or he speaks of his betrayer, what's about to happen. uh, He makes it very clear that there is a distinction among the disciples. Again, building on what he said last week, not all of you are clean. Uh, Some of them, it is clear, uh, were chosen. We know that. They had been marked for salvation uh, from eternity past. And uh, they had been brought to faith under the direct ministry of Jesus himself. But there was one among them who was not chosen. And here when Jesus, uh, in, in verse 18, he quotes the Old Testament, which is Jesus frequently does. Uh, he quotes the Old Testament. He quoted from Psalm 41. And in Psalm 41, David writes this in verses uh, 4 through 6, Psalm of David. I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. My enemies speak evil of me. When will he die and his name perish? And if he comes to see me, he speaks lies. His heart gathers iniquity to himself. When he goes out, he tells it. Now understand, first of all, what David is saying here. Uh, First here in this psalm, uh, David confesses his own sin. Second, uh, though, uh, he cries out to God about an enemy. And he is referring to an enemy. And this particular enemy, we know David had had many enemies, uh, but this particular enemy is the one who is spreading lies about him. He's slandering David. And then he goes on and uh, to describe uh, his emotions. How does David react to this slanderous speech? Uh, from an enemy. And in verse verse uh, 7 through 9, same psalm, David continues, All who hate me whisper together against me. Against me they devise my hurt. An evil disease, they say, clings to him. And now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. Even my own familiar friend whom I had trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. That's one thing. Uh, to, to be hated by an enemy, right? That's one thing. We've all probably experienced that. But it's a, it's a complete other thing. It's another thing to, uh, to be betrayed by a friend, isn't it? It's a complete other thing to be betrayed uh, by a friend. Some of you have experienced that. Uh, 
you know, I think all of us probably have it at some point. Uh, somebody that uh, was close to you and, you know, you find yourself being either betrayed by them for whatever reason. Uh, and it is um, extremely disturbing. And in Psalm 41, that's what David was experiencing. David was experiencing a friend who had turned against him. Now, uh, and, that, and, and you see the, the, the verses there in uh, 7 or 9. He says, uh, David says, who, who ate my bread? That's the quote that uh, Jesus uh, is using here in John. And remember, too, about David, first of all. Let's, let's talk a little bit about David. If you remember, David was a type. Okay, In the Old Testament, he was a type of Christ. Uh, so, so many things that took place in David's life uh, were later seen in Christ's life. Now, <clears throat> this particular psalm, not, not all of it is messianic. Uh, David, for example, we see here in the first couple of verses, David confessed his sin, right? Well, Christ never confessed his sin, right? Because he had no reason to. Um, but there is relevance in David's betrayal by a friend. And um, that is the reason, because of the context of the verse, uh, that's the reason why uh, Jesus quotes uh, this particular psalm here in the upper room. And just to, to go a little bit more about, uh, to build this out, in uh, the significance of this and the bread and everything, uh, in the ancient Near East, uh, to, to betray a friend was considered a heinous crime. Okay, just to, to betray him in general. That was a heinous crime but even more heinous even far more heinous was to betray a friend with whom you had shared bread okay um at the table so it it, what is that it tells you to to share a meal to share bread at a table is done by close friends right it's to share a meal and you you, and and you've experienced this you know you when you have uh people into your home you sit around uh the table, right? Share a meal. It's an intimate uh, time. Uh, you, you know, you, you, it's usually close friends that you do that, right? Typically, we don't invite just random people into our home to eat. I mean, it's okay with that, right, if you can do that. Typically, it's close friends that are sitting around on the table. So the fact that, that, that they had shared bread together really makes this entire uh, incident even more significant. During, um, uh, during, of course, this meal that we're referring to now here in, in, um, in John's Gospel, uh, they are at this very moment sharing bread together. It's happening right now. And, and so, so during this intimate time, this time in the upper room, uh, this time that is, is um, Jesus has already told them that His hour is here. I mean, this, is a, this is an amazing time. We're going to talk more about it later. But even during that intimate meal, Judas is planning his betrayal. Remember, we'd already, John had already told us that Satan had been working with him to try to lay out a plan. You know, so even in the face, and that's another wonderful thing to uh, to note here. Even in the face of the coming betrayal, what is Jesus thinking about? He's thinking of his disciples' faith. He's thinking about his disciples, and he and he looks to bring good out of this. And we know that from verse. 19, he's just told them that one of you is going to be betray me. In verse 19, he says, Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, why? You may believe that I am he. I'm telling you what's about to happen because I want you to understand who I am. 
Now, the I am sayings, right? We've been referring to these in the Gospel of John. And here we are at another I am saying of Christ. And remember, it's more than just those two words, I am. Uh, this is the, uh, the literal meaning here is I am who I am, which is familiar to us, right, from the Old Testament or, or the Hebrew word Yahweh. And here we see it again. We hear Jesus referring to himself, I am who I am. That is a claim to divinity. He's God in the flesh. And so get, Jesus gives them this prophecy of his own betrayal so that when it is uh, fulfilled, they would believe that he is who he says he is. He is, in fact, God incarnate. John tells us here in verses 21 through 22, he says, When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Notice uh, this, this phrase here. What does John say us about Jesus? Jesus was troubled in spirit. We talked about this uh, several lessons ago. Uh, this, is, this was not just, I'm a little worried about this. This was severe uh, anxiousness, okay? I mean, this is like, this is really, uh, the weight of what's about to happen is weighing very heavily on Christ. He is troubled in his spirit. And he knows what Judas is about to do. He knows that one of his own band who's been with him is about to betray him. And, and, and John tells us he was troubled. He was troubled in his spirit. So what did he do? He spoke. He speaks plainly about what is about to happen, what is coming. And he uses a phrase that he has commonly used. He said, most assuredly I say to you. He's, he's trying to get their attention. Right, uh, he's going to reinforce what he's about to say. Uh, just uh, just recently, I was uh, at, at work. I was reminded of a phrase that I used to use way back in the day. When uh, I'm, y'all know I'm back at the fire academy now, and and years ago when I was there the first time, I was in training and I helped train the recruit program. And one of the I was reminded from a recruit that I've met who I trained years ago. He came back and reminded me of a nickname that they gave me. And my nickname was Jason Listen Up Pope. <laughs> Listen up. That was a phrase that I used regularly. I think it did come from a certain military college that I attended. Uh, I think that's where I learned that phrase. Listen up. Pay attention. You know, hey, we got 20 guys here, gals. I'm about to tell you something, and you need to be paying attention. I'm going to say it one time. Listen up. Give me your attention, right? Uh, I've used that. Uh, I've I've gotten... what. Not to get off track here, one of our uh, one of my employees now, staff members, he said he said call my phone right quick, chief, call my phone, and I, and I did, and it shows up in his phone. Jason, listen up, Pope. <laughs> I said, well, that's that's good. So you better listen when I'm talking to you. That's what I, that's what I told him. Uh, anyway, it, it was a good joke, but 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 we see Jesus uh, obviously he's saying much, something much more meaningful than listen up. He's saying most assuredly I say to you, I'm. I'm what I'm about to say is very important. I want you to listen to what I'm saying. And and what is the, the result of, uh, how do the, the, uh, the disciples respond? They're confused. All right? They're, they're startled. They're stunned. 
Uh, Dr. Sproul mentioned that in uh, while while he was teaching in seminary, or while he he, he does uh, uh, when he when he taught in seminary, he said he would always encourage his students that when they were learning the meaning of words, very important, right? When you're studying the meaning of words, and especially in theology, uh, but but as they're learning the meaning of words, not only consider the meaning of words, but also consider the drama surrounding the words. What's happening? What's the context here? What's the what's the drama? He, he said they needed to read the text in a way that puts them into the story. Right? That was that, that was his advice to his students. So put yourselves, put myself, right, in the shoes of those who were reading about here. Try to try to imagine what these people, these disciples were thinking about and what they were Feeling, we can we can try to do that right here, right? First, put your, put yourselves in the disciples for uh, in the disciples' shoes for a moment. You you're gathered together. Uh, you're in the upper room. You've been listening to Jesus. Some of you for years. Some of you, and here, but the, but the last couple of weeks, Jesus's words have his message has changed a little bit, right? His hour's coming. He's troubled, um, and and these grim events. He's already he's already told them that. I'm going to Jerusalem, and what's going to happen? I'm going to suffer and die. He's, he's been telling them this. And now, he's just told them that the hour's here. It's about to happen. He's, he, he's told you he's about to die. So, what does that mean to the disciples? What do you think is going through their head? I mean, uh, Dr. Sproul said, I, I can imagine they ask themselves some very hard questions. Um, Am I going to die along with him? I mean, think about it. That's a legitimate question, right? You're one of the disciples. You've been following him. You're one of his his friends. He's about to be be, be crucified. They're going to do the same thing to me. Am I going to be thrown in jail? Uh, is this my hour too? Or were all my my hopes in Jesus to to deliver Israel were they completely misplaced? Have I been wrong about everything? That's been going on here. Do I am I off base? Where, where where did it all go wrong? Is it going wrong? Is you know what, what I can just imagine. And the others, just think about these other questions. What you know? What what have I given up? I've, I've given up my whole life for this man. What's about to happen? Well. <laughs> While all those questions, right, are going through their head, Jesus gives them another blow. I mean, he gives them another amazing piece of information. He says, one of you is going to, be betray- going to betray me. And you've got to be thinking, again, John says they're stunned. They're just like, what? what? They're perplexed is what John says, right? They're like, what What do you mean? One of us is going to be, going to be betray you. How, how can this be? There's no way. We've been with you. How are we going to betray you? But they know, okay, the disciples know, based on experience, that every word that Jesus has ever said is absolutely true. Don't they? They know that. They've seen this. They know that everything He says is absolutely true. In in light of that, Dr. Sproul said, I think, and I, and I can I'll agree with this, if again trying to put myself in their shoes, 
I can, Dr. Paul said, I can think there must have been a moment for each of them that they thought to themselves, oh no, please don't let it be me. And just sit on that for a minute. That, that, just think about that. Is again, this they he just said one of you's going to betray me. One one of you will betray me. I mean, what do you mean by that? Well, in this context, he's referring to who? We know who he's referring to, right? Because he's going to get to Peter in a minute, right? He's going to get he well he Jesus is right he's going he's going to get to Peter in a minute right this betrayal he's talking about though he's he's talking about Judas he's talking about what Judas is about to do yes sir do you think that they understood the degree of the I don't think so not I don't think Judas did. not I at this he point he was doing something I think he thought he was bringing in the insurrection or whatever the, the political part of Jesus. I, he thought Jesus was the king that was going to deliver them from the Roman oppression. And that's not what Jesus' mission was all about. No. I don't um, think they understood it yet. And, and we know, the only thing, you know, what was going through Judas's mind, I mean, we don't, obviously can't be sure, but we know that Satan has been working in his life already. I mean, we know that, right? Remember Judas, who is Judas? Judas is the one that's been, he's had the money bag the whole time. He stakes from it. You know, he, he, he steals from it. And Satan's been working in his life, but he, but he probably still thinks it's forgiven. He maybe. Deceived, he's deceived, totally deceived, I think. It, 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 he may, he, he, I may which, be wrong. Which is, well, hey, he, he may be, right? I mean, uh, that's what sin does, right? right exactly. Sin deceives us, right? It, it does. It, we think we're doing something right when it's completely evil and wrong. It's, it's very possible. If, so, you know, you, you just, you can think this for a moment. You know, is it, please don't let it be me. Please, he's John because Jesus has told us stuff's going to happen in the future. It's all come true. It's all happened, just like Jesus says. So I have no reason to doubt him. We we learn if you're familiar with the rest of the Gospels, uh, we learn over in Mark's Gospel that Mark tells us they were all sorrowful, uh, and they were begin to say to him one by one, "Is it I?" That's what that's what uh, we learn over in Mark's Gospel. Now there's another uh, detail here about the dinner that we should we should look at. Uh, Luke over in Luke twenty two fourteen it tell Luke tells us that he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Now it's true that Jewish people normally ate their meals seated at the table, but not so with special occasions. When this custom of reclining at the table was was first introduced in Palestine, it was rejected by the Jews as a sign of decadence because it had an earlier connection to the hedonistic cultures of the pagans. That was something they would normally do. So it, it, it starts making its way in into the nation of Israel, and they said absolutely not. But over time, uh, this practice of reclining at the table it found acceptance among the Jews. However, it was only used at special occasions. Um, you notice that um, what, who is, what's painting is the, the famous Lord's Supper painting. Is that, uh, who, who painted that? I'm, I should know that. The, is it, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody knows what I'm talking about, right? What, what do you see in the painting? They're all sitting in chairs. You notice that? 
but not reclined. So obviously the painting's not inspired, right? We know that. Uh, but but we but what what we're saying here is 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 that um, this this in fact this and it helps us. We help helps explain some of the the next verses, right? It helps us understand. Yes, they are reclined at the table. Uh, it was, uh, and so the, the Jews had accepted this is where I was going with that. And it had become adopted and had used now in the celebration of the Passover meal. This was common. This is what they would do. They would recline at the table. So, so why do we mention it, right? Why do we even talk about that? Well, the next verses, right? Uh, verses 23 and 24 says, because that makes sense, right? So they're reclining at the table. Uh, it says uh, 23 and 24 says now there was leaning on Jesus bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved Simon Peter therefore mentioned or motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke now we know that John himself is the disciple whom Jesus loved and so what do we learn here John himself is reclining right next to Jesus. He's right next to him. He's, in fact, he's he's reclining in such a way. It says his his it says his uh, he was leaning on the bosom, leaning on Jesus's bosom. So he's reclined in such a way that really to talk to Jesus, all he's really got to do is to lean backward a little bit and turn his head, and he's face to face with Jesus. That close. So Peter, observing this, knowing that that's the hey where, where John is in relation to Jesus, Peter, maybe it's a nod, right? It says he motioned to him. It's kind of like maybe like a like hey. I think it shows that Peter was already cheating. <laughs> yeah, Peter didn't say it didn't, it didn't say he motioned. I didn't ask. He motions is what we say here. It's kind of like. <laughs> yeah, you you gonna ask? Uh, you're right there, you know, or like pointing or, or something, right? Uh, yeah, what? Hey, you're right there, John. Um, ask him. Verses 25 to 26 says, "Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it?'" So he's he's right there. I mean, they're face to face. Right? They're right there. Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is, it is He to whom I shall give this piece of bread when I have dipped it. So John picks up on what Peter is motioning. They understand. He asks Jesus who it is. And it was obviously from the text, right? What we read here. It's obviously from this passage that 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 he whispered it. That the rest of them didn't hear what he was asking. It's obvious, right? Uh, so it was quiet. It was done quietly, almost in in secret. And 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 Jesus answers, but okay, watch, John. I'll, I'll show you. Um, the man who I give this piece of bread to after I've dipped it in wine, he's the one. And he probably said it very quietly. It's obvious that he said it quietly, right? Said it. They're, they're they're face to face. They're probably their faces are maybe a foot from each other. They're right there, and so he says it very quietly. And then we are told in verse twenty, the second half of verse twenty six, it says, 
And having dipped the bread, they gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And with this seemingly simple act, Jesus reveals who the betrayer is. It's, it's Judas. He's the one. Now, because, and again, we're taking the text for what it says, uh, because Jesus seemingly passed it very easily, he didn't, he didn't stand up and go hand it and make a big thing, right? Because a lot of people didn't know really kind of what was going on. He, it, it, so it suggests that Judas is where? He's on the other side of Jesus. He's right there. And if he was right there, then he was what we can best, best tell. And there's some debate on this. He was actually in the seat of honor. Right next to Jesus. That's significant, isn't it? He's right there. He's right there with Jesus. The drama continues to unfold. It says in verse 27 to 29, it says, Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, go buy the things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Something uh, in this this act, this gesture uh, of Jesus giving uh, the bread uh, to Judas was the the last nail in the coffin, so to speak. It was the it was the um, the last. It was it was the act um, that that allowed what ne- what took place next to happen to, to Sander. After Jesus identified him, he, he he told what he was going to do. He identified him, and it says what Satan entered him. Satan was waiting for the sign. Satan, remember, is not omniscient. Remember this: Satan does not have all knowledge. Satan is not all powerful. Jesus is. Jesus knows what's about to happen. And so that's the signal. As soon as it was done, Satan's there, Satan's waiting, Satan knows there's a plan, right? He's been working. Basically, it was Jesus giving permission to go do what he's about to do. Now you think about that for a minute. Jesus just gave Satan permission to enter into Judas. What is that? that that's a lot to think about. The one thing, the one thing that encourages my soul is what? Satan's on a leash. Satan can't do anything unless God allows him to do it. Satan can, God can stop Satan at any time, right? He's, Satan is not his own master. He is not God, right? So we see this, this significant event happen. Notice also that Jesus never attempts to stop Judas. No, he's, Jesus is troubled. Jesus knows what's happened. He's, he, he knows what's, what's going on in this. So what we can see here, Jesus never says anything to him. He never tries to persuade him to do it. Hey, you sure you want to do this? He never asked that. This is a, what, what does that tell us about Jesus? Jesus is, this is a, yet another display of many of Jesus' complete obedience to the Father. This is, we know because we know this section is what's about to happen. So much on Jesus' mind. Um, 
but he's completely obedient. Instead, what is he? He doesn't try to persuade Judas. What does he tell him? He says, do it quickly. Get it over with. Let's go. Get it done. Go. Now, it's clear that he said these things. He said, do what you do, do it quickly. Everybody heard that, right? Because what is that? The, the, the rest of the disciples heard that and they're like, what's he talking about? So again, it, it reinforces that the conversation of he and John, they didn't hear it. They didn't know. They didn't know the significance. They didn't know why, why, why was Jesus telling him to do this. Uh, they simply thought he was just sending them on errand. Just go buy some stuff. We need something for the meal. Verse 30, it says, And having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. So now, with Judas gone, he's out of the room. He's left. Do what you do. Do it quickly. He addresses now the remaining 11 disciples. Verses 31 through 32, it says, Now, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Again, we discussed this in a previous uh, chapter here. Uh, the cross, as, as we know, uh, does glorify God. It will bring glory to Jesus. And at the same time, it's going to glorify the Father. And Jesus is just reminding them of this. He's, he's, he's saying, and, and then Jesus' own heart, instead of looking at the agony of the cross, this, this what he knows is about to happen, this betrayal, everything is, is coming, Jesus chooses to look past the cross. He, he knows that this act is going to bring glory. It's going to bring glory to, most. first of all, the Father. The Father will be glorified through this act when, everything, when all this is over. So instead of looking at what's in front of him, Jesus looks past. Verse 33, he says, Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I have said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, Jesus, um, he dressed his disciples as little children. Isn't, isn't that amazing in and of itself? It's, it's, it's as Jesus takes on the role of the head of his household now. It's, it's, it's just kind of, he, he's addressing his disciples now as little children. And then we come to this, probably one of the most familiar passages, at least in the Gospel of John, maybe in the entire New Testament. Verses 34 through 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. But by this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Father Sproul said, Jesus here identifies a sure sign of faith in him and a test of one's salvation. And that is what? Love for the brethren. That's what he's, what he's saying here. Francis Schaeffer, in fact, called this the mark of the Christian, the true mark of the Christian. Love for the brethren. Do you have love for the brethren? It's a true mark of uh, the Christian here. But you know, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, there's a little bit of irony here, right? Because this is not a new commandment. The, the command to love one another is deeply rooted in the Old Testament. Old Testament law, specifically in Leviticus, there's another place. Uh, Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So what made this a new commandment? Dr. Sproul said, my best guess is that it had to do with the context of the betrayal. Perhaps he was saying this. This is Dr. Sproul's words. I'm going away and where I'm going you cannot go. But you will come. And in the meantime, I'm telling you to love one another the way that I have loved you and that you should not betray one another. In other words, Jesus was saying, you got to love one another with that love that stands tough. You know, when, when, when push comes to shove, it stands tough. It stands strong. True, true love in this, in this context uh, has, uh, true love for the brethren has absolutely no place for betrayal or for treason. We are not to treat one another like that. Matthew Henry says, he commented this way, he says, By this it appears that if the followers of Christ do not show love to one another, they give cause to suspect their sincerity. What's our takeaway? Love is, love is to serve as a distinguishing characteristic of Christians. The way they love one another. Calvin added this. He says, Calvin makes a distinction which I think is very helpful between this kind of love we're talking about that Jesus is referring to about love for the brethren. That's who he, He's talking to the disciples, right? They, the world will know you how you love one another in the context of the church, right? Calvin said this, I thought was very helpful. Brotherly love, which is something bigger, right, than love for the brethren. Brotherly love, indeed, is extended to strangers. For we are all the same flesh. We're all created in the image of God. But because the image of God shines more brightly in those who have been regenerated, it is proper that the bond of love among the disciples of Christ should be far more close. See what he's saying. There's a yes. There's a there's a general brotherly love that we can share and show to all human beings, all people, right? Because why? Because they're all created in the image of God. But there is this special bond among the disciples of Christ, far more close. Again, a mark of your faith, your love for the brethren. Verses forty six. Excuse me, 36 through 38. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus answered him, Will you lay down? Your life for my sake? Most assuredly I say to you, the rooster shall not crow until you have denied me three times. Peter, we love Peter. Peter wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to be loyal. But what is here in in, in this instance, Jesus is showing him his complete inability to do that in his own power. His, in, he, Jesus said, in your own strength, Peter, you, you, you don't have the ability to follow me. In your own strength, you cannot remain faithful. 
He tells Peter that before the sun rises tomorrow, you're going to be more like Judas than you even know. Now, again, there's uh, some debate about uh, where they were seated around the table. Um, John doesn't really give us a whole lot of detail, but but what we do know is um, that even though Peter was on the verge of denying Jesus, um, that what we do know about that every one of them, right, at some point, is going to abandon Jesus this very night. All right, Peter, was it? We know about Peter. He he follows at a distance for a little while, right? We, we know that. What happens to the rest of them? They scattered after Jesus was arrested. That, that for all of them, not just Peter, right? This is not just Peter here. All of them had the best of intentions. However, none of them had the strength to stand with Jesus through what was about to happen. Of course, for us, we too, we are. Prone to fail, right? We, we, and, and of course, in fact, uh, in a very real way, every time we sin, we commit what Dr. Spruill called cosmic treason against our Lord. Every time we sin, willful sin, it's cosmic treating, uh, tre- treason against our Lord. Uh, when, when, we look at, when we look at these verses, and I need to wrap this up because we're about a minute left. The failures of Judas, the failures of Peter, and all the others. Uh, what what should we do in response to that? It's 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 not point your finger at them. How could you? Right. That is not the response. Right. The response is we should fall down on our knees and surrender. Because without Christ, all of us would fail. Without His sustaining power, all of us. Will fail, and it's a question. You know, when you when you think about this, when you think about your own ability, Peter here was was resting in his own ability. I'm going to follow you wherever. You know, where is your confidence? Where is your? Where do you put your um, strength? Where is the source of your strength? You depend on yourself to live strong, to be faithful, to be loyal. You will find yourself lacking, right? I will find myself lacking. I cannot do it. I cannot remain faithful. It is, as Dr. Sproul ended this section, it is only by His power that we will remain loyal to Him. It is Jesus' work. That's why we are every day dependent upon His work uh, of sustainment in our lives. One last quote from Matthew Henry. We'll close. We're out of time. Christ knows us. Told you we were about out of time. Christ knows us better than we know ourselves and and has many ways of discovering those to themselves whom he loves and he will and he will hide pride from them. May we endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace to love one another with a pure heart fervently and to walk humbly with our God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time this morning. Father, if, if anything was uh, said this morning, Father, that it was an error, Father, we ask that you take it away. You remove it from our hearing, from our memory, Father. Um, but, uh, but where you have shared truth this morning through your word, Father, we ask that you use your word uh, to change us, Father, make us more like Christ. And Father, as we end our time of study this morning, Father, as we go to worship, uh, Father, be with 
um, be with all of us, Father. We pray that whatever may be distracting us from uh, the right worship of you, Father, we ask that you take it away. Father, we pray for our pastor as he leads us. Uh, and this particular Sunday, as we uh, as we observe uh, the Lord's Supper, something that you instituted on the very night we're studying about. Father, we pray that uh, our worship will be acceptable before you. And we pray that you will continue to use our pastor, Father. Use him in a mighty way. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.